Amen. Um, today, whew, I'm excited about today. Habakkuk chapter three, and I mean that with no sarcasm, okay? This book today takes an about face. It actually turns and goes the total opposite direction of we've, that we've been going for the last um, six years, I think, in this study of Habakkuk, because that's what it feels like to me. But today it really, really, really changes direction. And there's, there's celebration that we're going to be speaking of um, in the next two weeks I know of. But I'll be honest, this is probably, no, it's not probably, this has been the toughest book that I have ever studied and have ever preached and ever dove into for my own personal growth. And the reason of that is because I see me and I see all of my failures. I see all of my frustrations. And I think if we all were honest this morning that we can all say that we relate with this prophet Habakkuk. We've all gone through the same things that he's gone through. We've, we've all been through the seasons of being angry at God. Um, we've all had the wrong view of God at times. Many times, probably more times than not, we feel abandoned by God. And then as we ended last week, um, one of the most painful ones is the idea of being convicted by God. But we understand that he's molding us into the image of his son. And that is a battle against our flesh because we live for us. That's how we're wired. That's how Adam and Eve were wired. But today, um, what I love about where today goes is Habakkuk begins to see God through a different lens. He truly begins to see God as a, as a, as a God of, that's a father to him, a God that loves him. And that should be encouraging to all of us because the reality is, is God wants nothing more than his children to be drawn to him. And what we've seen in chapter one and chapter two is a, is a man named Habakkuk who is, has been brought through this, through this process of understanding that God is using everything in my life, everything in his life to bring people closer to him. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's very hard. But today in chapter three, it's gonna start out with a very, very short prayer. And then the rest of the chapter ends up in a song of worship. And so today we're just gonna simply, believe it or not, we're going to two verses today. We're gonna to look at a prayer. This is a very short prayer. And so we're gonna look at that prayer today, but I'm excited about it. So before we look into the prayer, let me very quickly summarize what has happened in chapter one and two, what God has revealed to Habakkuk and what God has challenged Habakkuk with. Um, the very first thing that I know sticks out to me is that God challenged Habakkuk to stay on his guard post. And he challenged Habakkuk that the only way that he can lead is by trusting him and trusting what he says. There's gonna be in times in his life that it's gonna appear that God's not working, that the enemy's winning, that evil is always victorious. But we also see that God is showing Habakkuk that in the midst of the disaster of what we consider disaster here on this earth, the one thing that God is doing is turning people to him in the midst of that disaster. But then we know in the end, evil will lose and those who are in Christ will be victorious. That is basically the summary of what we have seen in chapter one and two. And that's what brings us all to chapter three today. Okay, so I want you to look with me in chapter three of the book of Habakkuk. 
And we're going to look at verse one to begin with and just kind of, this is just really setting the stage for the rest of this book or for the rest of this chapter. But in verse one, it says a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shijanoth. You're saying, okay, what in the heck is Shijanoth? I asked the same thing. Okay. Believe it or not, most scholars don't really understand what this word means. But what it is pointing to is it's pointing to music. It's pointing to worship. It's the very same word that David uses in Psalms chapter seven. So scholars believe that that what this is setting the stage for is Habakkuk is setting the stage for the song that we're gonna hear about in the rest of chapter three. And so what he's wanting us to see here is we're about to step into a celebration. And we know that by, we're not going to look at verse 19 today, but very quickly in verse 19, there's a couple of things that help us understand what this entire chapter is about. But he references that it is played on stringed instruments. Anytime that a stringed instrument was used, it was usually for an upbeat song an exciting time, a celebratory song. And so we know that, that that is pointing to that. But here's what I love. He even references that God gave him hinds feet. Some of you are going, what in the world is hinds feet? What it's comparing it to is the feet of a deer, meaning that it is very swift, that it is very agile, that it is very quick. And so what we're seeing here is that in a, in a response to this upbeat celebratory song, Habakkuk is excited. That's the gist of what this whole chapter is about. And so what we see is that when we started in chapter one, man, it was doom and gloom. He was mad at God. God wasn't doing anything. And then in the very last part of chapter three, which ends the book, we see that he's talking about a celebratory song and having feet like a deer. We see how Habakkuk has grown. We see how Habakkuk has evolved in his relationship with God. But here, if you don't hear anything else I say today, here's the one thing that I want you to all understand. And this is is where our celebration comes from. Here's the one thing that I want you to remember when you go home today. That throughout chapter one and chapter three, Habakkuk's circumstances have never changed, but spending time with God has changed him. Habakkuk's circumstances never changed throughout the whole book of Habakkuk, but what has changed is Habakkuk himself, and it is a direct reflection because he spent time with God. God changed who this man was. And this all goes back to probably my favorite part of this, of, the, of this series that we've shared, but it's talking about how he positioned himself on the rampart, how he took time to spend with God. You know, there's a lot of us, myself included, that we say things like, I don't see God, I don't hear God, I don't feel God. But the question is, have we as believers made the effort to? Have we made the effort to hear from God? Have we made the effort to see God? Have we made the effort to feel God? Have we positioned ourselves on the rampart where we are turning our backs on this world and we are crawling up in our father's lap and saying, God, I need you. Have we done that as believers? 
But that is exactly what we understand that has caused Habakkuk's faith to grow. We all want to trust God. We all want to have faith in God. But are we doing what we are called to as believers to see this faith grow? Because we just think that it's some magical potion that, you know, I just need some some God dust sprinkled on me and all of a sudden I'm going to have faith. D.L. Moody said this, I used to think that I should close my Bible and pray for faith, but I came to see that it was in studying the word that I was to get my faith. So instead of closing this book and saying, okay, God, I need faith. Okay, God, I need you to do something magical in my life. Do you understand that this is the word of God that he's given us that we read about, we read about his faithfulness, we see about his faithfulness, and when we hear these stories that we're gonna share about in just a little while, this is what causes our faith to grow. It's because we've seen what God has done all throughout the scriptures. This is what causes our faith to grow. And here's something the Lord gave me. And I want you to write this down too if you're taking notes. Our faith is a direct reflection of knowing his faithfulness. Our faith is a direct reflection of knowing his faithfulness. This is why Habakkuk's faith has grown. This is why Habakkuk's faith has grown. Which brings us to verse two. As we get ready to wrap it up, I'm just kidding, we're not quite there. But in verse two, here's where the prayer itself begins. Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. I want you to, if if you're a writer in your Bible, I want you to put in parentheses there, stand in awe. And we're gonna talk about that in just a moment. But Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. Oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years and in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. So there's two things. Yes, we talked about positioning himself on the rampart. He spent time with God and we know that that is what has allowed his faith to grow. But here Habakkuk is going to address two more things that that he's giving credit to his faith growing. And those are two simple statements that he makes. And the first statement that he makes here is the one that says he has heard the report. He's heard the report. And so what's amazing about this to me is, is, is what he's meaning when he says I've heard the report is he is literally meaning that he has heard God speak to him. He has heard God speak. And so this is what has caused Habakkuk's faith to grow is because God has directly spoken to Habakkuk. He's heard the voice of God. He has seen God do it. And so what he's heard God speak is he's heard God say, it is gonna appear that the enemy is gonna win. Yes, temporarily, Babylon will win. Yes, Babylon will come and take captive my people. But in the end, my followers my people will stand victorious. So Habakkuk has heard God speak this. And so when he says that he has heard the report, that's what he's talking about. He's heard God speak. But then the next statement is this. He states, revive your work. Revive your work. 
And what I love about this is this just is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like in today's modern age, because the reason is this, what God has already spoken to Habakkuk, Habakkuk is now having faith that it will come true because he's already heard that God has done this before. He's already heard of God's faithfulness. He has seen God's faithfulness through other people's stories. And so now what God has spoken, Habakkuk is believing because other people have told him of this same God's faithfulness. So what people have already told Habakkuk God has done is backing up what God has spoken to him. And he says, look, I've got faith now that what you're saying, God, what you have told me is going to happen will happen because I've already seen you do it. I've already heard that you've done it because people have told me what you have done. And what he's referencing here is the deliverance of Israel. They were held captive in Egypt by Pharaoh and, and God promised their deliverance. God promised that they would make it into the promised land. God promised he would destroy the enemy. And so Habakkuk has heard that and now God is speaking that and, God, and, and Habakkuk is saying, I believe it because you've already done something very, very, very similar. And so God, I have faith today. But you see, Israel was the same, in the same shape that even Judah was in in this present story. They complained against God. They turned from God. But even in the midst of their sin, even in the midst of their rebellion, God promised their rescue and God promised the destruction of their enemy. And so that's exactly what God is telling Habakkuk is going to take place now. And so when he says, revive your work, what he's saying is bring back the way you do things. You know, revival is not a word that we use a lot of times anymore for whatever reason. But I think we can all agree that our country needs to be praying that God revives his work, that we have revival brought to this country. Because this country has turned its back on God. We are living in rebellion. We are living for our flesh. But the reality is, is this is how good God is. If we're a follower of Christ, guess what? We still win. That makes no sense. That a God would love us that much that even in our rebellion, if we're willing to die to ourselves, he will still save us. He will still restore us. And he will still do what only God can do. But what I love about what Habakkuk has shared here, revive your work, is this is fruits of people sharing their story. People have told Habakkuk what God has done in their lives. So the question is, is have you shared your story? Have you shared what God has done in your life? Have you shared how God has restored you? Have you shared how God has saved you? Have you shared how you've seen God heal? Have you shared how you've seen God deliver? Have you shared how you've seen God break the chains of addiction? Have you shared those stories? Because the truth is, is your story has the ability to strengthen someone's faith. Because when they hear you speak of God's faithfulness, it's lining up with the faithfulness that is in this book. And they're going, you know what? I can believe this because, they're, because God's doing it in their life. 
I've seen God do it in your life. I've seen God do it in her life. I've seen God do it in that family's life. So therefore, I can have faith believing that God is gonna do it in mine. That God is going to do it in mine. And so some of you are already posing the question, well, Brian, I prayed for healing. I prayed for the chains of addiction to be broken. I prayed for my marriage to be restored. I prayed for my home to be restored and, and I haven't seen it. It didn't happen. God didn't do what I wanted him to do. Starting to sound a lot like Habakkuk, isn't it? But, here's the but. I can almost guarantee you that in those seasons of prayer, that when, when God didn't answer the way you wanted him to, to, to was, there a time in, was there a time in your life where you thought, there's no way I can survive this. There's no way I can make it. There's no way that I'll ever recover from this. There's no way that I can continue doing what I'm doing because God didn't do what I wanted him to do. Can I tell you this? You're here listening, so guess what? You made it. You made it. And so the promise that you hear in this word is the simple promise that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And the fact that you have survived whatever tragedy that you have walked through, the fact enough that you're standing on this side is a promise that God has spoken that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you. And that's your story. That is your story saying, God, I made it. When I thought there was no way, when I thought there was no end, when I thought the only way to stop was to end this thing, but I'm still here. I'm still believing that he's good. I'm still having faith in him because I serve a God who loves me, who has used this disaster to turn me to him, who has used this disaster no matter what I've said about him, no matter what I've said to him, that he's never turned his back on me, that he's standing with his arms wide open, waiting to receive me. So while we see these two statements that he's heard the report and he's prayed and he's saying, God, please revive your work. You realize that you could be a part of that reviving work by you sharing your story. By you sharing your story. No matter what that looks like, have you shared your story? So yes, these two things have increased his faith. His faith has grown, but what I love about all of this is that it's changed the way he prays. We've seen from chapter one to chapter three, we have seen Habakkuk's prayer life completely doing about face. And look at this, this is just something very simple. In verse one, or chapter one of verse two, when Habakkuk first started speaking to God, he said, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear me? Now look at the prayer in chapter two, verse one. He says, I will stand on my guard post and I station myself on the rampart and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. 
So you see already he's gone from, God, you're not hearing me. God, you're not speaking. You're not here. You're not, you're not there, God. To now in chapter two, he's already saying, okay, God, I'm gonna position myself where I can hear you if you do speak. But then listen in chapter three, verse two. Lord, I have heard the report. Do you see the, the progression there? God, you're not hearing me. God, you don't love me. God, you're nowhere to be found. To chapter two is God, okay, I'm gonna position myself where I can hear you. If you do speak, chapter three, I've heard you. I've heard you. You have spoken and I celebrate the fact that I've heard you speak. But then here's something, this is almost kind of comical. In verse one of chapter, or chapter, doggone, sorry. Chapter one, verse two, he says that, he says, I don't see you doing anything. God, I don't see you doing anything. But now in verse three of, or chapter three of verse two, he says, now I fear what you're doing. I don't see you doing anything. Now we see it change to, okay, now I fear what you're doing. But you see, we gotta be very careful when we use that word fear. Yes, it is a holy fear. It's a holy reverence of understanding the authority and the power that God has. But when we translate that word more specifically, what he is actually saying here is to be in fear of God in this moment. He's saying that he reveres, that he has a deep respect for, and that he has an admiration for, or that he's just in awe of what God is about to do and what God has already done. So here's a man who says, God, I don't see you doing anything, to now here's a man who is saying, God, I'm in awe at what you've done. How many have gone from point A to point B? We've all been there. God, I don't see you doing anything. And then at the end of the day, we're going, how did that happen? How did that even come to be? And we stand in awe of what God has done. And when we stand in awe of what God has done, when we stand in awe of his love, when we stand in awe of his works, when we stand in awe of his power, when we stand in awe of his sovereignty, we stand and we look at a God who can do nothing but make our jaws drop because it's something that we can't even fathom. It's something that we can't imagine. But the fact that he is standing in awe of this mighty, powerful God is what brings him to this last statement. It's what brings him to this last statement. He says, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. You see, God has spoken to Habakkuk. So what Habakkuk has been made aware of is that the wrath of God is coming. That God's judgment is coming. That God is going to pour out his wrath. He's already heard about God's wrath being poured out. You remember when the Israelites came up to the Red Sea? What happened? They parted. The Israelites walked over. I love that. Do you not always recognize how it says dry ground? You see that God doesn't halfway do anything. We've all just seen a lot of rain last week, right? 
There's a lot of mud. But the fact that they walked through, they weren't marred up in mud. They weren't slipping and falling. They weren't disgusting. They didn't have to put it in four-wheel drive to get across. But the Bible says that they walked through on dry ground. God didn't halfway do what God was going to do. They made it to the other side and then God's wrath showed up. The walls of the water closed in and destroyed the enemy. It destroyed the enemy. So he knows God's wrath is coming. He knows that what God's wrath is going to do is it's going to wipe out all evil. It's going to wipe out all sin and it's going to wipe out all the consequences that go with both. You know, but I think if we just look at that word wrath of God, that can make any of us scared to death because we hear about the wrath of God. I remember the wrath of my daddy. I remember that black belt wearing me out. But the reality is, is for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no punishment. There is no condemnation for that. You know, when we hear about the word or the wrath of God, I was honestly kind of awestruck at a part of a sermon that I heard this week in reference to that by Louis Giglio. He says that we as believers, now you got to believe me, I'm going to probably have the same effect that you did or that you're about to. But Louis Giglio says that we as believers should long for the wrath of God. Huh? What do you, what do you mean we should long for the wrath of God? What does that mean that we long for the wrath of God? You see, what we got to understand is that wrath of God is justice. The wrath of God is justice. And when it says that he references there twice, he uses the words in the midst of the years. You remember a couple of weeks back, we talked about that, that God said, it's not yet time for my wrath to be poured out. It's coming, but it's not yet time. And so see that we're right now, we're in the midst of the years. We're in the midst of the years. We're in the time of waiting. And remember that the longer we wait, the more people that God is drawing to himself. So we as believers, yes, we should celebrate the waiting because it gives us an opportunity to continue to share the gospel, to talk about this man named Jesus Christ. So we should celebrate the waiting. And so in the midst of the years, what he's saying there is he's saying in the midst of the years, make it known. Revive your work in the midst of the years. God, do an amazing work while we're waiting because we know the wrath is coming, but even in the midst of those years of waiting, God, revive your work. God, do what only you can do. Because the reason that he says in the midst of the waiting is because like I said, that's more celebration for us. But you see, the longer we wait, the wrath of God is gaining energy. Louis says that it's like a tidal wave getting ready to crash in on the seashore. But in the moment of that wave, finally making it to the shore, what we as believers celebrate is this, that once the wrath of God, once the wave hits the shore, what it ends up doing is this tidal wave is building up, it's creating energy, but when it lands, it will destroy everything that has ever come against a child of God. 
It will come against everything and destroy everything that has ever come against the child of God. It will destroy sexual abuse. It will destroy murder. It will destroy emotional abuse. It will destroy alcoholism. It will destroy addiction. The wrath of God will destroy sickness. Some of you need to celebrate that today, that when the wrath of God lands, when the wrath of God comes on the shore, guess what? Every cancer cell is destroyed. Every disease that is killing us will be destroyed. And we as believers, this is what we celebrate because the wrath of God takes out everything and all consequences of sin. You do understand that every disease under the sun is a consequence of the sin of Adam and Eve. But God's wrath will destroy it all. And that is why by his stripes, we are healed. We are healed. And so why then does he say, God, this, this is kind of funny to me. This is just kind of my sixth sense of humor. But he says, in wrath, remember mercy. God, I know your wrath's coming. God, I know how powerful you are. God, I know what you're capable of, but please remember mercy. You hear, you hear kind of the, the, almost the uncertainty that he's still struggling with here. God, I know you can do this, but God, remember mercy, okay? Remember what he said in chapter two, the righteous shall live by what? By faith. And so that's what he's referencing here. He says, God, remember me. Yeah, it was a battle. Yes, I fought, but God, I have faith in you now. So God, when your mercy does land on the seashore, when it does wipe out everything that has ever come against a child of God, God, please remember me, not because I'm good, not because I've straightened my life out, not because I've stopped doing this, not because I've stopped doing that, but because God, simply my faith is in you. My faith is in you. So God, because of my faith, because I trust you, because I love you, God, remember that mercy. God, remember, don't give me what I deserve. Don't give me what I deserve. So church, here's our victory this morning. If you're in Christ Jesus, the wrath of God passes over you. Not because you figured this whole Christianity thing out. Not because you've got your life together. But when the wrath of God lands, if you are in Christ Jesus, the wrath of God passes over. You know the story in the Old Testament, the Passover. When the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorpost, the death angel would sweep through. But if the blood of the lamb was applied, if the blood was applied to the doorpost, then the death angel passed over. And so there's somebody here this morning that as a believer in Christ Jesus today, we gotta celebrate. We gotta celebrate. We're about to sing a song, do it again. We've believed We've seen God do an amazing work. You've seen God use your story. You've seen God writing your story. 
But this morning we need to stand and proclaim, God, because you've done it, because you've done it before, God, I'm believing you can do it again. I believe you can do it again. But some of us need to be reminded too that no matter the disaster, the storm that you're walking through right now, that at the end of the day, God's gonna have the last word. God's gonna have the last word. So when the wrath of God is poured out, understand that it will wipe away everything that has ever come against you as a child of God. And man, we ought to be like Habakkuk. We ought to say, man, you need to pick it up a notch. You need to pick it up a notch because we got something to celebrate because we are victorious because we are in Christ Jesus. We know that death has no hold on us. We know that cancer has no hold on us. We know that addiction has no hold on us because my God has already overcame. And so church, I want us to go ahead and stand to our feet this morning. And the reality is, is some of us stand around like we've got concrete blocks on our feet. And heaven forbid we raise our hands. Heaven forbid we come to the altar because man, it may be a little awkward. Can I tell you, it was not near as awkward as the, if, if the wrath of God came on you. So because you are in Christ Jesus, we need to have feet like a deer. We need to be light-footed. We need to be celebrating. I might even clog. Maybe not. I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. I have no rhythm. I can't clap and sing at the same time, period. So, but church this morning, what we're about to sing, I want you to get lost in it. I want you to believe that because of God's deliverance, because of his rescue, because of what he's done all through this book, he's not finished. What he's already done, he's going to do it again. And we as believers, that's what we celebrate this morning. So we can't sit here, we can't be quiet. We can't keep our hands in our pocket. We can't keep from crying. We can't be in from tears of joy because we need to celebrate what Christ has done for us. We need to celebrate. We need to have the mindset of Habakkuk. Saying, God, revive your work. Revive your work in me. God, we thank you for today. And Lord, I thank you that we as believers are protected in you. God, that we are covered in the blood of the lamb. And so God, we celebrate that this morning. And God, I pray that our actions would show that celebration. God, we're not trying to conjure up anything, but God, I just pray for honesty. I pray for transparency today. God, we're very quick to share our emotions with you when we're angry, when we're brokenhearted. But God, how, how heartbreaking is it that we won't share our emotions in you when we celebrate you? So God, give us the courage to celebrate you today. So God, move in this room. God, let us be obedient. And God, we'll give you the praise for it all today. In Jesus' name, amen.